0: Previously on Mafia, in the 1980s and 90s, the legendary undercover agent Donnie Brasco took down over a dozen Mafia members, including the bosses from four of the five families. But one family Don remained untouched by the outcome, the last Don, Joe Massino.
1: Joe Massino was considered the last Don because he was really the last of the old guard.
0: But after years of outwitting the FBI, they had finally bagged his right-hand man, Sal Vitale. And this gave the FBI the edge they had been looking for. This is Mafia. Joe Massino had spent years taking every precaution to keep the operations of the Bonanno family secret. He didn't have meetings in clubs or anywhere he could be surveilled. None of his soldiers knew more than they needed to. He trusted no one. The only person who knew everything was his underboss and brother-in-law, Salvatore Vitale. But after being arrested for racketeering, Vitale was given an unusually short sentence. Massino became paranoid that Vitale might have made a deal with the feds. He decided to cut all of Vitale's connections to the family.
1: Joe uh, began to view Sal with a little bit of suspicion. Other crime family members thought he might have been an informant when, in fact, he wasn't. But Sal also didn't really have the diplomatic skills uh, to work as a street boss and get the loyalty of the Bonanno crime family members. So he became a liability. And at some point, uh, Joe, uh, you know, put him on the shelf, as it were, Took away his rackets, took away his family uh, uh, captains, and took away his earning power.
0: Massino knew from experience that one rat can quickly become many. He began looking for anyone else in his organization who might pose a threat.
1: Massino had that brutal side to him. He could be very ruthless. He could be ruthless to protect himself. He could be ruthless in policing the crime family the way he had to, and that would have been through murder.
0: And he quickly found someone Gerlando Sasha.
1: Sasha was a pretty significant captain out of the, the Canadian wing of the Bonanno family. And he was indicted but cleared in a drug case, a uh, heroin case. Uh, and he ultimately um, came back to the United States and became a. Uh, Significant player in the crime family. Somebody who Massino liked up to a point.
0: But Massino began to see him as a potential threat. Many years earlier, Shasha had murdered three men on Massino's orders. The knowledge of these murders could eventually lead to Massino's downfall. And Shasha was becoming increasingly powerful, which threatened to undermine Massino's authority. Massino felt he had no choice. The boss had Shasha killed. Meanwhile, FBI Special Agent Jack Steubing's investigation was still drawing nothing but blanks.
2: I became convinced more than ever that uh, he knew so much about how we operated that we were going to have to try something that we hadn't tried before. He was uh, certainly on uh, red alert as far as uh, uh, any... uh, Informants we could develop were uh, penetrating with another undercover agent. Uh, He was certainly well aware of our surveillance techniques, and uh, it was time for a new approach. So Stubing turned to history for inspiration.
0: In the 1930s, Detective Elliot Ness had captured the legendary Al Capone by following Capone's money trail. And Capone's accounts turned out to be his Achilles' heel. Maybe the same approach could work with Massino. Stubing brought in two young agents, Jeffrey Sillette and Kimberly McCaffrey. They were specialists in forensic accounting.
2: The idea of uh, using forensic accounting um, to uh, address what uh, the Bonanos were doing and what other organized crime families were doing ultimately um, took a while to... um, to develop, I mean, uh, the, the FBI has always uh, actively recruited accountants, um, but they've used them primarily for white-collar investigations. And it seemed to me that uh, if we could uh, pry a couple of uh, accountants loose from the white-collar program, uh, maybe we would uh, be able to uncover things that we hadn't uncovered before.
3: Beautiful part about money is trail never leaves. So uh, time is on our side when it comes to investigating the finances. And as much as you can hide um, other criminal activities because it takes a face-to-face conversation to commit some of those crimes, committing financial crimes is something that is trackable over long periods. Of-
0: Salette and McCaffrey got straight to work and subpoenaed Massino's accountant. They obtained his financial records dating back 10 years.
3: Well, the, the great part about accountants is they save everything. So when you subpoena them, you're going to get a lot of information that otherwise you would have to subpoena other locations to get. They save bank records, they save credit card statements, they save the tax returns themselves, they save the schedules, supporting schedules and then the documents that they've taken in to do the, uh, to do the tax returns. So we subpoenaed any and all documents related to Messino, Vitali, or any of their corporations that were listed in their names. Their wives, um, people use, when they're committing crimes, we use what are called nominees, which are people that are, um, that are conducting the financial transactions in name only, and they're really owned by
4: someone else. It was a lot of paper. Um, very different than you know going out on a surveillance or doing traditional organized crime techniques. Um, we were dealing with a lot of spreadsheets and inputting uh, data to find I mean basically we're looking for a needle in a haystack. Um, so although they were long hours, they were, they were great because we were, we were solving we, we knew what our end goal was, and we were okay to work the hours.
0: Solette and McCaffrey examined every single document, line by line by line.
3: There is a story behind every transaction. The line that my partner and I used to use all the time was, if you take a a bank statement and you cut off the numbers, you have a series of leads. The numbers themselves are not necessarily relevant. It's who the transactions are being conducted between, for, when, where, and how, which is all the same thing that we do in any type of gumshoe investigation.
0: It wasn't long before something unusual caught their eye.
3: Massino and his wife won the New York State lottery to the tune of about $500,000 over a period of uh, five years. So they won four out of five years. Um, those transactions, we viewed them as uh, as suspicious. It would be highly unlikely that somebody would have the luck to win the lottery to that uh, extent.
0: Massino had lottery sellers on his payroll they had leaked the names of the winners before they made a claim. Massino then bought the tickets off them at face value and claimed the prize for himself.
4: It was a red flag that they were laundering their money. Yeah. Um, so if you go to Howard Beach, New York, and you happen to win $50,000, um, a normal person would have to pay taxes on that. Um, and they're, they're going to take a good chunk of your money. Um, But if Joe Massino, the boss of the crime family, says that he'll buy your lottery ticket from you and he'll give you $50,000, you don't have to pay taxes on it. He'll pay the taxes You're gonna do it Uh Um, And then it's a win-win for everyone. The one person doesn't have to pay their taxes and they get cash from the crime boss and Joe Massino has a way of legitimizing some of his ill-gotten gains
0: it was a valuable insight into the workings of the family, but still not enough to indict Salette and McCaffrey continued their meticulous and time consuming forensic investigation.
2: It can be very tedious work; um we really didn't have the kind of um computerization and uh and uh, programs and uh resources that are we take for granted nowadays um, and so a lot of it was uh, was done with a paper and pencil. And um, uh, it can be, you, you really have to have a, a, a love for doing that kind of work uh, if you're going to be successful at it, because otherwise you're going to miss a lot of details. But the accountants
0: eventually came across a sequence of interesting entries. They noticed a series of checks, each made out for $25,000, to someone named Barry Weinberg.
4: Checks that were written from Joe Messino and Salvatale's spouses to a man by the name of Barry Weinberg. And the first question Jeff and I both had at the time was, why are the boss and the underbosses' spouses writing checks mm-hmm. to Barry Weinberg? Who is Barry Weinberg?
0: The feds eventually found Barry Weinberg a wealthy entrepreneur and the owner of numerous Manhattan parking lots.
4: What we eventually figured out was those checks were written, I believe, in 1992, and they were actually a way for when Joseph Messino was getting out of prison um, to, again, legitimize income for him, to show income. Um, And then later on in the records, we found that Joseph Messino's wife and Sal Vitale's wife were also getting W-2s. They were getting paychecks monthly from these parking garages. They were getting partnership shares. And I can guarantee you that Diana Vitale and Josephine Massino had no idea where those parking lots were, nor were they going to work their parking cars. But the way it works is most parking lots in New York City are, you don't actually own the property, you own the lease. And the leases are very valuable.
3: The
0: leases were especially valuable to Joe Massino. By buying stakes in Weinberg's parking lots, Massino could create false parking receipts. It was a perfect way to account for the mountain of cash he was making from street drugs and his other illegal activities. Once they discovered the parking lot scheme, the FBI started to move in on Weinberg. If the FBI applied pressure on the shady businessman... Weinberg could possibly divulge valuable information on the crime boss.
3: Weinberg was a very nervous guy. Um, We did not think that he would be capable of spending any time in jail, and we figured if we targeted him, which we did, um, and we targeted through a uh, covert financial investigation, that if we arrested him that he would cooperate with us and give us an inside look
4: into the Banana Organized Crime family. We knew that Barry Weinberg might be someone who we could get to work for us.
0: Salette and McCaffrey subpoenaed Weinberg's IRS returns. They discovered that although he was earning millions of dollars each year, he was paying hardly any tax. It was exactly the kind of leverage they needed.
4: The more we looked into Barry Weinberg, the more we figured out that he would be a great avenue to go after uh, the Bonanno crime family and Joseph Messino. Barry Weinberg had, had a lot of ex-wife problems. Um, he was trying to evade income taxes because he owed a lot of money to his former spouses and a lot of child support. So uh, Barry Weinberg had evaded about $14 million in taxes, so we knew uh, there was some good motivation for him to cooperate with us.
0: Fearful of alerting anyone close to Messino that they were on to Weinberg, Saletta McCaffrey went for a low-profile arrest.
3: The NYPD pulled him over. Um, they pulled him out of the car. Myself, um, my partner, Kim McCaffrey, and uh, another uh, two agents, an IRS special agent, FBI special agent, we pulled up in a van um, next to the car where he had been pulled out of. The van's door opened. Weinberg is hustled in um, and we have Weinberg in the back seat and he is with uh, myself and my partner where we say to him, Mr. Weinberg, um, you have 15 minutes to make a life decision. We can either bring you down to the Eastern District of New York and process you for your tax evasion or you can wear a wire and work for us right now. And then after we spent some time debriefing him with the prosecutor, um, we sent him right back out on the street to Mulberry Street with a wire on
0: Weinberg knew that if his wire was discovered, he was a dead man. Nevertheless, over the following months, he recorded over 100 incriminating conversations. The tapes led to racketeering charges against 20 mobsters, including one of Massino's closest henchmen, Frank Coppa. Coppa was already in prison for a five-year sentence for stock fraud, He realized these new racketeering charges could put an extra 20 years on his sentence, years he wasn't willing to serve. So he told the feds he was ready to flip. It was the first time one of Messina's soldiers had been prepared to break his code of silence, and Coppa didn't hold back.
3: He was in prison at Fort Dix. We took him out of prison, um, and we had a conversation with him Um, in an off-site location, and during the course of that conversation he um, told us, which is something that we did not know, that he had been involved in the planning um, and execution of the murder of Dominic Sonny Black Napolitano. Dominic Sonny Black Napolitano was a captain in the Bonanno family who had proposed FBI Special Agent Joe Pistone, also known as Donnie Brasco, for membership in the Bonanno organized crime family. Um, When Copa tells us this at uh, this meeting, we were all fairly blown away because we did not know that he was going to come in and talk about that.
0: It was enough to finally move on Massino. And on January 9th, 2003, Salette and McCaffrey went to arrest him.
4: We were taking down a crime boss that, you know, many had considered untouchable. And we were just two agent accountants. Yeah. With some subpoenas, some financial subpoenas. And it was really,
3: you know, combination of a lot of, uh, a lot of effort, blood, sweat, and tears, um, getting us there. So, you know, we're on our way there. I think the, uh, the feeling was, finally, we're going to put this guy in handcuffs. We went to the front door, um, and I, I believe Kim and I went first. Um, we knock on the front door, and there's Joe.
0: When they arrived, it seemed Messina was actually expecting them.
3: And he says, um, you must be Kimberly, you must be Jeffrey. I've been waiting for you. Um, I saw your cars over the past couple days.
0: Salette and McCaffrey threw on the cuffs. After an investigation that had lasted years and almost came to nothing, the last Don was finally in
4: custody. His reputation was that he was an untouchable crime boss. Um, He hadn't been arrested in a very long time. A lot of the news articles from the day after his arrest did refer to that, the untouchable boss has been arrested, the last Don done, uh, things of that nature.
3: Um, We weren't looking for Joe to talk when we arrested him. We were looking to put him in jail. He was at the top of the food chain.
0: With Messino behind bars awaiting trial, Agent Steubing worked to ensure that the case against him was airtight. He sent Salette and McCaffrey to see Sal Vitale, hoping they could convince him to
2: flip like Frank Coppa. I knew from my work on the squad over the years and personal contact with Vitale uh, during the grand finale investigation uh, that this was uh, the key to unlocking... um, Massino's um, vulnerability in, in the case. Vitali, I think, uh, was a, a person who literally knew where the bodies were buried and um, he uh, would be able to provide uh, very, very important intelligence uh, to specific crimes and to um, uh, future plans that Massino may have had for the family.
0: Vitali had worked so closely with Massino for so long his testimony would be damning.
3: So when we get in the room, um, uh, we introduce ourselves. My name's Jeff Sillette. This is Kim McCaffrey. Um, We're the case agents, and uh, we wanted to tell you that you're screwed. Um, The term I use is a little bit more uh, offensive, Um, but the idea was we were gonna tell him right to his face. This is a guy who was in his 50s, who had never been to jail for a substantial period of time, who had been involved in criminal activity for his life. Um, we want to make it very clear to him that we were not intimidated and that he is the one who needed to be intimidated. And we said to him, um, you know, we'd like you to cooperate with us. Um, See the four walls that you're surrounded by. This is what you're going to look at for the rest of your life.
0: Massino's closest ally held to the code of silence. Vitale didn't say a word. But Salette and McCaffrey had an ace up their sleeve. They told him that Massino, thinking Vitali had cooperated with the feds in return for such a short sentence, had almost ordered a hit on him.
3: We have with us the detention memo that was written by our prosecutor. Um, and in that, it talked about how Massino wanted to kill Vitali. He says, prove it to me.
4: I said, Mr. Vitali, we don't need to prove to you that they are true. You know that they're true. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're right. Let me just talk to my family.
0: With that. Vitale decided to flip, and what he told them was nothing short of devastating.
4: Sal Vitale ran the family for Joseph Messino when Messino was in prison. Sal Vitale did all of the dirty work. Um, I mean, Sal was involved in orchestrating 11 murders um, for the family.
0: Extortion, gambling, loan sharking, narcotics... Vitali listed every crime that he and Massino had ever been involved in. And Vitali's flipping triggered the domino effect Joe Massino was so afraid of. One rat was about to become many.
4: So when people started to suspect that Sal Vitali was cooperating, they literally were knocking on the door of the U.S. Attorney's Office saying... If Salvatelli is cooperating and he tells the truth, I need to do something to help myself because I'm going to jail. So we went from no maid member ever cooperating in the Bonanno crime family to people, to captains, 25-year captains, literally knocking on the door saying, please, I have to do something.
0: On May 24, 2004, the trial against Joe Massino began. The list of accusations against him was overwhelming. 11 counts of conspiracy, 16 racketeering charges, extortion, gambling, loan sharking, and seven homicides, including the murder of Sonny Black Napolitano. In the end, seven of Massino's closest confidants testified against him.
3: Frank Lino's testimony was devastating, Joey D'Amico's testimony was devastating, Richie Cantarella's testimony was devastating. Um, I could go on and on and on. I mean, I think the collection of having his best friends all getting up on the stand and testifying against him was absolutely, um, I mean, it was, the the case was airtight uh, on Messino.
0: But the prosecution's star witness was his own brother-in-law, Sal Vitelli.
1: Sal Vitelli's testifying was an extraordinary moment in that trial. And it was a betrayal. And Sal Vitale was probably the most important witness, I thought, because he put Joe Messino in so much, so many bad acts, it implicated him in so many murders, murder conspiracies, so many acts of extortion, other crimes, that, you know, yes, there were other witnesses, and they also put Joe Massino in jeopardy with damning evidence. But Vitale had this long relationship over time, and knew so much that it really was curtains for Joe. And it was an amazing betrayal. You could just see this play out in the courtroom, and you, as you sat there, you began to understand the enormity of what you were witnessing here. Uh, and really, it was a great historical lesson because you heard so much history, but also this was an ultimate betrayal.
0: The evidence was completely overwhelming, and thanks to Sal Vitali's testimony, Massino was found guilty on every count. Massino had thwarted conventional FBI tactics for decades, and Agent Jack Steubing took satisfaction in the fact that he had laid the groundwork for his accountant's victories.
2: When uh, Massino was convicted, I thought that... Uh it was a uh, a vindication of the the path that we had taken, and uh, I felt uh, that uh, the team had done a tremendous job. I uh, took a, a, a personal um, pride in the fact that the uh, the team that uh, I had originally assembled um, had been successful in carrying this forward, and. I was very proud of, uh, of how they had wrapped the case up.
4: On the day that Massino was convicted, you know, we, we felt like we did our jobs. We had agents from back in the 1980s um, that called us and were like, thank you. Like, they had surveilled him for so long. They had wiretaps, they had all different kinds of things in various social clubs back in the 80s and they could never get him.
0: But it wasn't over yet for Joseph Massino. Things were about to get even worse. The feds were afraid that Massino would continue to run his family's operations from behind bars again. So they pulled a trump card. Even before the ink was dry on his verdict sheet, he was served again for the murder of Gerlando Shasha. And this time, prosecutors were seeking the death penalty.
1: Joe Massino was the first official boss to face the death penalty, certainly the federal
0: death penalty.
3: He was charged with the 1999 murder of George Gerlando Sasha. In
0: 1994, Congress had passed a law which stated that a conviction for homicide in aid of racketeering could be punished with the death penalty. Suddenly, the stakes for Massino got much, much higher. He wasn't just facing a long prison sentence anymore. For decades, Joe Massino had meted out savage punishments, even death, to anyone who broke the Mafia's unbreakable code of omerta. Now, facing death himself, Massino did something no one had expected. He turned informant himself.
1: Joe Massino had nowhere to go except to the death chamber. And therefore, he decided to become a cooperating witness with no real promises from the government other than whatever he would share and testify to in court would be known to a judge and through Joe Messina's attorney there could be a request made for reduction of sentence.
3: It was the first time an official boss of the New York five families cooperated with the federal government. It was unprecedented.
1: You had had other acting bosses decide to become witnesses. You had other gangsters decide to become witnesses. But this was the first official boss of a major one of the five families deciding to cooperate. That was the big deal. In the history of the mafia, it's one of the biggest deals. But the mere fact that he was willing to talk to law enforcement, was a complete
2: shock to me. And no one, no one ever thought it would happen. That was quintessentially Joe Massino. I mean, here's a person who had clawed his way to the top of a very violent world, had been very successful in it, had enforced his will among hundreds of men, uh, and he could see that he was beaten And uh, in the end, it was the smart move. In exchange for evading the death penalty, Massino pled
0: guilty to the murder of Shasha and handed the feds $10 million. But most importantly, he told them everything he knew. He had decided that if he was going down, then he would take the whole mob with him.
5: He became the consummate rat. He gave up everybody to save his own skin the great destroyer. The man who was against anybody talking now became the biggest blabbermouth. And he undid everything that he had created over 20 years. So it was a devastating blow. I mean, he could rat out not just his own colleagues and his family, but he had plenty of information about the other family. And um, he looked that he was a type of new mafia don, and he turned out to be the worst kind of all not just a blabber, but a complete traitor.
3: This really was a a milestone in the government's fight against organized crime.
2: It changed everything. Uh, The ramifications throughout uh, the law enforcement community, uh, throughout uh, the state of organized crime, not only in New York, but what's left of it around the country, Um, it made it seem that anything was possible, that uh, really anybody could turn, um, and that no one could be trusted. And uh, I think it changed the uh, the face of organized crime uh, in New York and probably throughout the country forever.
0: Massino's cooperation with the federal government led to 15 indictments against fellow mobsters. And with Massino out of the picture, an era came to an end.
4: Uh,
1: you got to realize he was one of the old school, the last of the old school. It was a school that required loyalty within itself. The Mafia required loyalty. Uh, But in the end, I think Massino didn't engender loyalty. He was too greedy and he was too ruthless. And he had people who turned against him because of those very qualities of ruthlessness and greed. And that is the end, I think, what led to Joe Massino's downfall.
5: Uh, The Bonanno family is still alive, still functioning and is reinventing itself Uh, it's easy to say we've killed them all we've knocked them all we have prosecuted them all but somehow the mafia continues to thrive so they've been hurt but not fatally so the mafia is still alive it's waiting in the wings to come back as powerfully as it once was
0: The end of Joe Massino as undisputed godfather was a sign of how times had changed. The unwritten rule of Omerta, the Code of Silence, had been broken by members of every rank. It was clear no one could be trusted anymore. Even the bosses. That's it for Mafia Season 2, but we'll be bringing you four bonus episodes. And we'll be back for Season 3... This has been an Audio Boom and World Media Rights co-production, hosted by me, Fleet Cooper. It is produced by Audio Booms Ben Hosley and Rachel Jacobs and Bettina Vasquez for World Media Rights. We had editing help from David Markowitz, with additional production from World Media Rights by Gerald Zabengwa. David McNabb is the series creative director, and the executive producers for Audio Boom are Brendan Reagan and Stuart Last. Follow Mafia on Spotify, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And if you've got some time, give us a review.